We're doing this to make money. We're doing this to build our capital, beat inflation, stay ahead of taxes so that we could have a more fulfilling life with our family, with our friends, with our colleagues and enjoy ourselves. But let me tell you, stocks are probably one of the best ways that I can think of to invest. Welcome to the Market Call Show, where we discuss what's happening in the markets and the impact on your investments. Tune in every Thursday on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Market Call Show. This is Louis Giannis. I am the founder of WealthNet Investments. Today, we have an interesting topic, and I'm really excited about diving in, so let's get going. Hello, everybody. I'm in the WealthNet office here in Texas. And it's so funny, I'm actually working as we approach this New Year's because there's so much great stuff going on and there's a lot of challenges that we're looking to overcome as well. But let me tell you something. I want to today, I want to talk about shedding back the veil, uncovering what is happening and how to actually look at stocks in a way where you can be successful and take some of the mystery out of it. There's so much mystery surrounding stocks and people have so many different like folklore or oh gosh, I'm, I, I guess almost like wishful thinking or mystical thinking, magical thinking around stocks. And I wanna talk about how to get concrete, empirical, and the factors that at least we look at that have been successful you can look at it in back in time as being successful and you could look at it in real time as being successful for making money with stocks because that's what we're doing this for. We're doing this to make money. We're doing this to build our capital, beat inflation, stay ahead of taxes so that we could have a more fulfilling life with our family, with our friends, with our colleagues and enjoy ourselves. But let me tell you, stocks are probably one of the best ways that I can think of to invest. The beautiful thing about stocks is it's really a share in a company, right? And companies are dynamic. There's ever-changing things going on and there's always opportunities that are developing throughout time. So the idea is you wanna be able to capture those opportunities and you wanna be staying with the trends that are applicable to the environment, whatever environment you may find yourself in. And I'm gonna talk about the bare essentials that I think should be looked at in managing stocks. At the very least, your manager should be doing this for you if you're not doing it yourself. So I'm gonna talk about quantitative factors, those factors that are based on numbers. I'm gonna be talking about like the components for a model, a way of thinking about the world, and a way of thinking about stocks. I'm gonna talk about valuation, balance sheets, income statements, stuff that make a difference in how you make money in stocks, quality, sentiment, a key component on how to make money. And I'm gonna talk about volatility. And then I'm gonna talk about how you put a portfolio together and the key elements that keep you out of trouble and how you position size and just take away a lot of the mystery. So let's go ahead and dive in. The first thing I wanna talk about is I wanna talk about quantitative factors related to actually constructing a model. A model is a way for you to, again, it's a map on how you wanna view the world. And the first thing I wanna look at is the quality type factors. 
And the reason why you want to look at quality is because quality will tell you the stability, the no ability of an investment, and therefore its ability to stick. You can stick with this investment through thick and thin. There's always limitations in everything that you do, but if you follow these types of rules and guidelines, then it keeps you out of trouble. So the first kind of model component of you, if you will, is the valuation. Valuation is where you're looking at, in general, those attributes where you're looking at operating income, how much money the company is making on the bottom line. You're looking at the assets that the company has and the cash, how much liquidity is on that balance sheet. And this brings into a cohesive view of value. So the first part of it is a balance sheet evaluation. So if you're not an accountant, don't worry. What we're gonna talk about is real basic stuff. A balance sheet is just the assets and then what's owed as well as the equity, basically the ownership interest. So we wanna look at things like, what is the book value? What are we paying for? How much are we paying for assets and earnings? What is the book value? Because there's really a herd mentality out there where people can get attracted to growth stocks and people will pay way too much for what you're getting. So we always wanna have some grounding and an understanding about what are you getting for what you're paying. It's just, you know, most people really follow that rule when they buy houses or when they buy a refrigerator, or when they buy all these other things, but rarely do they think about that when they're buying their stocks. So it really starts off with that. And the other part that's really important about this is the liquidity of the value. So we wanna know how much cash relative to the market cap, like how big the company is worth in the market based on its current price and how many shares are outstanding. We wanna know how liquid the company is because there's a positive correlation between liquidity and future stock returns. Not past stock returns, but future stock returns. Now, it's not, obviously it's not perfect and the past doesn't always predict the future, but there's a strong correlation between having good liquidity and having better stock performance. So the liquidity strength is a value-added beneficial attribute of a company. So from a company's perspective, strong cash positions provide the ability to capture growth opportunities. If you have a lot of cash, like right now, Apple has a lot of cash, there's a lot of things you can invest in. You can invest in starting a new product with cell phones, or you could even go into the car business, right? If you have a lot of cash. So you wanna make sure that you can look for those companies that have a lot of cash and they can deal with the competitive pressures that are out them, they can be opportunistic. So from an investor's perspective, the value of strong cash position is higher during times when the cash flows are high. So we want the companies that have a strong cash flow, stocks with high cash levels. Okay, enough about that. Let's move on to the income statement. You always wanna look at the income statement. What is the income valuation factor, for example? And we can observe that looking at earnings relative to the price. We can look at, because by the way, earnings relative to price has a good correlation for future stock returns. It's definitely not perfect and it's not a perfect timing tool, but it's definitely a strong correlation. So you wanna be cognizant of it. So pull back, unveil the earnings. What do they look like? What are you paying for it? You have to consider the core operations of the company, not the ancillary one-time, one-off stuff, but the core stuff. What are they really making? So far, we've talked about the balance sheet and the value. Now I wanna talk about the quality. 
the quality grade, if you will, or quality scoring, if you will, the way of thinking model, you want to look at the operating performance measures derived from recent financial statement data. So you want to look at the growth rates, uh, the cash return on investment, improving operating efficiency. What does all this mumbo jumbo mean? Well, it means highly rated stocks within this category that have this high grade, they have a much more potential for price appreciation because investors perceive that these companies have financial strength, and they do. They have the strength for potential growing earnings faster than their average stock. And the way you look at it, you can kind of dissect this down a little bit further into capital intensity, number one. Capital intensity is a factor, basically what you're looking at is, by the way, we know that the market tends to underreact to a company's growth when they are building expenditures and discounting younger firms for higher business risk. And I wanna get into that a little bit more in, in depth here, but basically what's happening is a company kinda has a life cycle. And in the life cycle, when they're younger, they spend a lot more in capital and they have to use a lot of their cash just to reinvest back in the company to get growth. But if you have the right type of company, you can have a situation where the capital intensity is less. You're not having to use all your cash for capital investment, so you can turn that money back in and you can grow faster. So if your return on capital is better and your capital intensity is lower, that's a much better investment. So that's a big part of what we wanna see. Now, the next part of what we want to see has to do with profitability because the cash flow itself has to be profitable, right? We need to see a return on equity, if you will. Like, what is the net income that the company is earning relative to what's owned in equity? So the cash flow has to be clean, too. That's really important. We want to look at the accruals. And we have very disciplined quantitative ways to look at this, but for those of you who know a lot about accounting, there's this accrual concept where if you are in the accrual-based accounting, you're basically realizing revenue and other, it could be realizing expenses as well. And you may not actually have had uh, cash been, cash may not have been actually changed, but you have this change in the net income and other measures on the balance sheet. So we want to know are they cooking the books, <laughs> not cooking the books, but are they basically making things look better or smoother than they really are? And you could see that in the accruals. So we wanna know more about the quality of that profitability and we wanna look at non-recurring activities, things that happen ever so often that are not part of the core business of that company. And because we're really looking for healthy cash flows from operations in comparison to the stock price. So we also want to look at the gross profitability of the company. We want to know how strong the income statement profitability is because obviously it's positively related to future stock returns. So we want to compare to other measures the profitability that the earnings are having based on the gross profitability because that's a cleaner measure. It's higher up on the income statement. As you go further down the income statement, there's a lot of things that can be moved around and monkeyed around, but we wanna know what's happening at the top end, the revenue, the direct expenses relative to revenue. Because the, the truth of the matter is, is that there's a strong relationship between that gross profitability. So we looked at capital intensity, profitability. The last thing I wanna look at, because we're kind of finished with quality now, the last thing I want to look at is sentiment. This is an area that people just really don't think about enough, sentiment. The sentiment grade that we look at, the sentiment kind of model, we're looking at several different short-term changes because the short-term 
can give you a lot of clues about the long term. So a lot of good short term decisions can lead to a better long term decision. And sometimes you only have to make single decisions that can make a big difference. And we'll talk more about that later. But when it comes down to sentiment, the first thing we want to look at is the investor sentiment. What is the short term sentiment factor that we can look at relative to short interest? If you're not familiar what shorting a stock is, is that's when investors are trying to bet on making money that a stock will go down. So they sell the stock, not owning it, using margin, and then they try to buy it at a lower price and therefore making a profit. So sell it now high and then buy it later at a lower price and make money. So if you have a lot of people who are shorting, a lot of investors who are shorting, as that trend is going down, that tends to have a negative effect on stocks and it can get too far out of whack and then you have a reversal and that's called a short squeeze. But we're not talking about the short squeeze part. We're talking about the trend in shorting. There's a short interest factor that tends to have low correlation with other typical accounting measures. So this gives us a view from a different perspective about the sentiment of a stock. Okay, we're talking about sentiment. So the other thing we look at is what are the analysts' expectations and how are they changing? Because that gives you a view about what Wall Street thinks and what the analysts think are happening and how that could affect the views of buying and selling. We don't want to have a situation where the analysts are continually downgrading, downgrading, because that tends to have negative stock price performance. Obviously, these things can get completely out of whack and then you can go counter to them. But in general, sentiment that is moving against you and you're long, you definitely don't want to be being on the wrong side of that trade. So it's really important to look at sentiment. And of, of course, we want to look at the price momentum. It's amazing how much you can get out of price alone. You could literally just use price and get a lot of bang for your buck in terms of performance because price momentum is a factor that is one of the most robust factors out there. In fact, I just recently had an interview with Wesley Gray, PhD, Wharton grad, studied at the University of Chicago under Nobel Prize winning financial people. And I asked him, I said, if you had one factor that you could rely on on a desert island, you could have nothing else, what would it be? And his answer was price momentum. Understanding and being on the right side of price momentum is one of the most important factors out there. So you don't want to fight the trend, you want to be going with the trend. So we talked a little bit about analyst sentiment, and let me just kind of wrap up that part of that. So as it relates to investor sentiment, we're looking at short interest, we're looking at price momentum and various forms of it, and analysts sentiment, earnings and price targets, things like that. Okay, and I hope this is unveiling or taking some of the mystery out of stock selection for you. These are what I consider to be the most important things to look at. If you worry about your investments, need to make complex financial decisions, or pay unnecessary taxes, a lack of proper financial planning and investing may already be costing you a great deal. When you are ready to turn your peace of wealth into peace of mind, go to wealthnetinvest.com and click on the schedule a call button to talk to us and get a free consultation today. Another thing to think about is price volatility because a lot of people don't know this, but forecasting returns is actually much more difficult than forecasting volatility or variation in price. We can, with a pretty high degree of accuracy, statistically speaking, predict how volatile a particular investment is going to be. But we can't really predict the direction as much. So we want to know on our position sizing, we want to position size relative to risk and how much price volatility is one way of looking at risk. There's other ways, but it's a pretty good way to get an assessment of risk. 
There's obviously a ton of other risks that are out there. There's market risk, there's foreign currency risk, there's industry concentration risk, there's interest rate risk, credit risk, issuer risk, liquidity risk, derivatives risk, prepayment risk, leverage risk, emerging market risk. We can go on and on. So what's interesting though, is that the price volatility will capture a lot of that. So that's one of the reasons why we pay attention to price volatility and the changes in volatility. You can have a low volatile stock that turns into a high volatile stock. The key is, is you want to understand that when those changes are happening and position size in a way so that you have the right reward, i.e. return versus risk in your portfolio. So that's kind of the general, more quantitative ways that we look at things. Now I want to switch gears a little bit now and talk about some of the essentials the essentials of actually managing the portfolio. Because planning, and I was listening to a podcast interview with Elon Musk. He was talking to Lex Friedman, I believe, Lex Friedman. And he was talking about how planning something on the drawing board is a lot easier than actually doing it. Once you've gone from the drawing board, in fact, Elisa told me this, my daughter, what matters is that you go from the drawing board to real life. What I'm going to be talking about right now are those elements related to real life. Okay. So when you put together this portfolio, you have to have a way to rank these stocks, right? So what is the best way to rank these stocks? You have to have what I call factors, right? You have factors and it, well, I don't, it's not just me who calls it that it's a common way of talking about return factors or return drivers. You have to have a model of how you want to put together your return drivers. Those elements will tell you what is the most attractive stock in your universe relative to the least attractive stock. And before you even get to that, you have to be able to know what is the liquidity? Is there enough dollar volume? Like even just as an example, today and yesterday, I've been trading some stocks and generally I try to only stick to stocks that have $25 million or more average daily dollar volume. So there's at least $25 million changing hands in a stock because we'll be taking a significant part of that volume if it's too low. And anyhow, so I was trading, I would say something around 15% of the volume of a particular stock. And here we are coming up on the holiday and it was very hard to get filled. We had to get filled over two days. So you don't want to be in a position where you're a slave to the liquidity. So you even have to bring that down to another level when, once you get in there and start investing and blocking and tackling. So anyhow, so you've got to rank these stocks from high to low. Once you've done that, then you can go back and say, okay, this is my most attractive stocks down to my least attractive stocks. And you have to be very disciplined about it. And then you start filling buckets and you have a risk bucket. So what is my overall risk budget? Like for example, in our dynamic strategy in the US, we generally have 30 risk budgets. So we have room for 30 stocks. And in that case, we will fill up those buckets and those buckets can be filled up based on the opportunities. So that's the second part of that is what is the opportunity score, if you will. If a stock is at 100% opportunity, it's one of the best opportunities that are available to you, then you will have filled entirely your entire risk budget. And then we also look at how these stocks interact. We want to make sure that we don't have too much concentration in any one particular risk factor. Once a particular risk factor, for example, if it's all energy stocks, obviously you don't want to boatload up in just a bunch of energy stocks. You want to cap it at some point. You just start filling these buckets up.
And that's how you construct your portfolio. And then you have a balanced portfolio with based on your analysis, the most attractive stocks. Then what happens after that is where the magic occurs. It's about managing risk and making sure that you're constantly rotating into those best stocks based on your way of viewing the world. So if a stock is not moving in your favor and is no longer trending, we talked about price momentum, those stocks need to be pulled out. They will be pulled out purely on price momentum. There are some purist fundamental people that will disagree with me wholeheartedly. I'm just looking at the data and the data says, if you have a stock that's moving against you under certain timeframes, you're better off getting out of them. You can get back into them later, but you're better off getting out of those. So there's this element of initial risk where you want to pare back on a stock if after you first get in and then that stock is not doing well relative to other opportunities, it's best to get out, rotate into something better. There's another part of this. There's a big part of this has to do with your position size, right? So we talked about risk budget. So how much you put in is relative to the riskiness and then how correlated it is to other stocks that you have and your risk budgeting. So that really determines it, how strong the signal strength is or how strong your opportunity score is. So once you put that together, that tells you how much to have. But as the opportunity wanes, you wanna get out. As it gets better, you wanna have more capital in. Okay, so there's one other element that nobody likes to talk about, but is a reality when it comes to stock investing. When you get into a bear market, you just don't wanna buy stocks. The data shows when you get into a bear market, the stock market rolls over, starts breaking moving averages like the 200 day moving average, momentum, it starts going into a drawdown. You do not want to be buying stocks during that period of time. Now it can get overblown and that's when you wanna buy it, right? But initially when you start going into a bear market and you can have false signals, but you don't wanna just sell everything, but you wanna stop buying, at least based on our methodology, you wanna stop buying stocks if you go into a bear market. And if your risk rules pull you out or rotate you into a different area, then go ahead and do that. And you may get yourself in a situation where you're heavily in cash. So if you want to have good risk-adjusted returns and you're focused primarily in good stock investing, you really have to pare back on stocks. Buy and hold, right now buy and hold, everybody thinks that's the best way to go because it's been a big bull market and I've seen this several times in my career. As Soon as you get into a bad market, inevitably those people who are diehard buy and hold people, they sell out at the wrong time, they underperform and then I believe this strategy for most investors is better because it gets you in good quality opportunities and you have risk management. Risk management is so important. So the big ugly elephant in the room is when you get into a bear market, you have to sell stocks. You have to stop buying stocks first. And then if your risk rules pull you out, you have to sell stocks. And that means you might have to hold cash or bonds or other investments that are not as attractive. And then as the market gets settled and moves above moving averages and you're not in a bear market anymore, you will start seeing your signals start improving and you'll be able to buy at good prices and take advantage of those stocks as they move higher. So as long as we have a capitalist system where we have entrepreneurial capitalism, there's gonna be great opportunities, new companies, new products, new services, lots of things to invest in. So I love stocks because it's the business world and I believe in the human ingenuity and the ability for smart people to evolve and to create new things to make the world a better place and therefore make more profits therefore allowing you to be able to live a more fulfilling, wealthier life. So I think I've covered pretty much everything that I wanted to cover today with unveiling 
what's really important about stocks. And I hope that this sheds some light for people who are maybe not into this. Maybe a lot of the stuff you've already heard of. Maybe it's just a good reminder. And maybe you disagree with some of this. If you do, let me know. And I'd be more than happy to talk to you and debate it. But based on the data, based on quantitative analysis and experience, and really modeling the best investors, in my opinion, this is the formula. So I hope you got something out of this today. If you like this information, be sure to share it out to your friends, like and subscribe to our podcast. And if you wanna learn more about my book, I have a book called Financial Freedom Blueprint, which just was published. It became an Amazon bestseller. I highly recommend you pick up a copy. I talk about seven steps that lead a path to prosperity. So there's some planning stuff in there. And there's also some really good blocking and tackling investment ideas. So you can pick that up. You could go to pathtorealwealth.com and learn more about that there. You could buy it on Amazon, different places. But if you want a signed copy, be sure to let us know, pathtorealwealth.com and pick one up. Hope you're doing well and I hope you have a great new year. I will talk to you later. For the latest episode of The Market Call Show, make sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to marketcallshow.com for all our past episodes and sign up to get alerts for new episodes. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please leave us a five-star review and comments. The information in this podcast is informational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. WealthNet Investments is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where WealthNet Investments and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure.